Welcome to Pocket Economics, a guide to changing lives, our podcast about the ideas which are shaping the EBRD regions and beyond. I'm Jonathan Charles. Today, we're discussing economic opportunities for young women in an increasingly changing global market. Our guest is Barbara Rambusak. She is the EBRD's lead inclusion economist. But first, how do we define economic inclusion? Inclusion is about providing economic opportunities to those social groups who are underserved by the rest of society. Gender, place of birth, family background, age or any other circumstances should make no difference. An inclusive market economy ensures that anyone and everybody has full and fair access to labour markets, finance and entrepreneurship. Barbara, just before we really get into the meat of this, do you recognise that definition? Is that, would you agree with that definition? Of course I recognise this um, definition. It's um, one that I helped develop when we started to um, define and implement um, economic inclusion for the EBRD a few years ago. Um, it's a definition, I think, that is very relevant for our region. It's one that focuses on the characteristics that might inhibit equality of opportunity and might create barriers for people due to circumstances that they can't control, such as, as you said. And um, in a way, I'd quite like to stay on this because um, recently the transition report um, that was published um, for 2016 focusing on in inclusion um, very nicely demonstrated the relevance of this um, definition and of this focus on inequality of opportunity on, and on those characteristics such as um, gender, such as place of birth and such as this socioeconomic environment that somebody's born into. So that's really the, the background, in a way, the, the factors that work against inclusion, of which clearly there are an awful lot. But let's let's look then, if, if you're a young woman or a woman, say, born in a remote region, what can be done to, to open up economic opportunities for, for, those, for those people? So um, I think particularly if we look at young women, it's very important to um, highlight that these characteristics are clearly not mutually exclusive. Um, you can come from... A remote region. Um, you can be a woman coming from a re remote region. You can be a woman coming from um, um, a socioeconomic environment that is maybe not very conducive to you entering the labour market very successfully. So, um, in a way, these um, characteristics um, can reinforce each other and can create multiple barriers, um, specifically for women in remote regions, for young women, for refugee women, for example. Um, if we look at young people overall and the challenges that they face, um, we know that about a quarter of the world's population is young people. Um, about 85% of those live in developing countries. And if we look at our region, well, we, we have some of our countries in our region that show the largest um, percentages of youth unemployment, over 50%, sometimes 58 60%, um, clearly creating massive challenges. And then if we look at the multiple barriers, uh, multiple challenges that young women face, Again, um, these uh, levels of, of unemployment are even higher for young women. They find it even harder to obtain the relevant skills that they need to, to succeed in the labour market, to enter entrepreneurship opportunities, um, to access finance, to also enter um, into the types of occupations that are maybe non-traditional for women, um, to um, also overcome so social, um, cultural, normative barriers um, that would allow them to um, take career and educational decisions that maybe are less conventional and, and, and um, less traditional. 
it's it's a combination of a number of different factors and a number of different characteristics and um, related barriers that that really make it much harder for young women specifically to enter the labor market successfully and to really fulfill the potential that they might have so how do you alleviate that you do that by um, very closely working with the key actors. So um, if we look at the private sector, the private sector creates nine out of 10 jobs um, across um, the developing world, across emerging markets. So clearly the private sector has a very important role to play. If we look at the business case, um, why would it be important for the private sector to um, diversify their workforce? I think the business case is has been overwhelmingly made, um, is very clear. There are numerous studies that show that a more diverse workforce actually increases the performance of companies. Uh, a recent study by McKinsey put a 15% premium, for example, on companies with a more diversified workforce. Um, in the UK, um, companies for every percentage increase in, div in diversity within a company, um, the, the company's performance goes up by 3.5%. So um, there are a number of very interesting figures so the bottom now. bottom line is inclusion pays. Exactly. Um, there is a, there's a clearly a business case for inclusion to be, to be made. So the question is, how can we um, bring all the relevant actors um, to work together to jointly achieve this? So at EBRD, we work very closely with the private sector, with our clients, and we help them to diversify the workforce by in introducing equal opportunities programs that help um, young women to be better better able to compete for successfully jobs in sectors such as manufacturing, retail, tourism, hospitality, power and energy, natural resources. Um, but also we work with our partner financial institution to open up opportunities for entrepreneurship, access to finance, access to entrepreneurship skills through our women in business programs. So that's in a way one area. Another very important area is, is the area of skills. Um, we work with the private sector to embed, to improve national level skills standards so that they actually reflect the needs of the labour market, the needs of employers, and to particularly reach out to young women to shape the educational decisions that they take. Um, and not just to reach out to them, but also to their families in a way to overcome some of these cultural norms and barriers and those perceptions of what constitutes a good job for a young woman, but to really um, build a awareness and, and, and understanding of maybe less traditional careers in vocational routes, for example, in manufacturing, in areas, um, but also in management, um, in areas where women tend to be underrepresented at the moment. Yeah, well, we talked there about young women, but of course there's a lot of uh, exclusion amongst young, full stop, young men, young women, young, 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 young. And, and that's a real issue, isn't it, in a lot of our countries of operation? Absolutely. I mean, if we if we look at some of the, the, the figures here, um, we basically have this, this mismatch, the, the, this um, dilemma that we have young people um, pouring onto the labour market um, with skills and also with aspirations and, and um, expectations that do not match the realities of today's labour market. Um, we find that um, about a third of young people entering the labour market today taking on their first job are either under or overqualified for that um, first job. So if they're overqualified, they actually take a job that requires lower skill levels than they bring to the market. So th there are all sorts of challenges that come from that in terms of shaping the expectations um, of their careers um, and, and of the next sort of career challenges and steps that, that these young people take. And then at the same time, we have employers who are unable to fill entry-level jobs, particularly. There are surveys um, undertaken by McKinsey, but also through um, the, the EBRD's BEEPS 
um, study that show that um, about 30% of companies see that um, the skills, the lack of skills um, as a major barrier for their expansion and their growth. And 60% actually say that um, to fill entry-level jobs, there just simply aren't the skills in those young people and the graduates that come out of schools, both at vocational level and at tertiary level. Come back to that in just a minute, because I think that's worth exploring some more. You're listening to Pocket Economics, the EBRD podcast on how economic ideas can help to change people's lives. I'm Jonathan Charles. Today, we're discussing youth economic inclusion with our guest, Barbara Rambusek. And Barbara, there we were just talking about skills. So there clearly is, as you've identified there, you know, one of the big problems is skills mismatch. What role does education play then in remedying that or, or other ways of remedying that? What do you, how do you deal with it? So I think the, the, the type of education systems that are in place have a huge role to play in terms of the educational outcomes. Um, there are a number of different types of education system that we find across our countries of operation. There are those that really sort of educate first and then send peop- young people out into the labour market. Um, there are those who educate and um, already offer entry-level jobs in or entry-level routes into education. That's the apprenticeship model, where part of the education happens in the classroom and part actually happens already with an employer. And then there are those that, that basically extend the, the years of education longer and, and therefore equip young people with higher-level skills. It's the sort of Nordic model where um, years of education are, are extended and then there's a shorter trans- transition phase into, into educate or into employment. So um, these types of education models really um, have a huge impact on, on how young people transition. It's basically we look at we, what we have a person in full-time education at the start. What we want to achieve is a person who is fully economically active, able to sustain himself financially um, and is a full independent adult. And it's that transition from full-time education into adulthood that is that is the huge challenge. Again, I think the private sector has a huge role to play in, in this context, but there are also labour market structures um, and also, frankly, new um, mega trends such as globalisation, um, new technologies entering um, the labour market and shaping the labour market in new ways, um, automation, etc., that really change the nature of the labour market, the type of skills required, also the types of jobs. I want to ask you about that because it strikes me this landscape is getting a lot more Mm. complex uh, from the the trends that you've identified. Globalisation clearly, difficulties, the competitiveness of that, technological advances which may mean there are fewer jobs at certain levels for, for people or different jobs for which they may not be skilled. Uh, we often see in some of our countries' operations a massive growth in the young workforce because of demographic change. Mm-hmm. Uh, all those things presumably are, are, will require very different solutions and a much more active engagement to try to reduce exclusion. Absolutely. And I think the interesting thing is really at this point to um, understand what, what these technological changes, these demographic changes that you described, actually mean for the labour force across different parts of our, of our region. Um, If we look at automation, for example, there are a lot of studies, a lot of estimates now about the extent to which automation will change um, the the structure of the labour market with up to um, 50% of jobs um, being altered substantially. I personally think that this this transition and these changes will actually take a long time to manifest themselves. I think we're looking at 20, possibly 30 years to come. Um, And... um, I think at this point, therefore, it is quite important to look at some of the opportunities, particularly those that come from um, digitization, 
um, from the, the online technologies and the opportunities that these technologies actually create in the labor market. Um, if we look at the introduction of the internet, the internet has destroyed um, a large number of jobs, but it has actually created more jobs than it has destroyed globally. So um, we're looking at different types of jobs, we're looking at different types of opportunities. Particularly if we come back to the focus on, on women, Digital systems and uh, IT technology really allow women to take on more flexible types of jobs, to work when they can, from where they can, for how long they can, also frankly for, for who they want to, um, and, and gives them a lot more flexibility in day-to-day in, in, in -day life and in, in terms of how they shape the careers that, that they want to do. So there are also opportunities also for entrepreneurship, um, the internet and, and um, IT technology can open up markets. Um, also for service provision. Um, so there are huge opportunities for those groups that maybe find it harder to access more traditional employment models um, due to location, due to normative or other um, barriers that, that exist. So um, I think we also need to focus on the opportunities and work with our clients and also our policy stakeholders to open up these opportunities. Just to come back on to IT technology, globally it's still only 50% of, of the global um, population is actually connected to the internet. So um, creating these connections, creating these connectivities, but also making them fit for purpose in terms of speed, uh, for example, speed of connection, um, that, that is a challenge that I think us as a bank can also invest in and can contribute to. So briefly, if you were to look ahead five, ten years, uh, at the opportunities that might exist to reduce exclusion, to make the workforce more inclusive, particularly in, return, in terms of uh, young women and women and indeed youth altogether. What, what does the landscape look like, do you think, in five or ten years' time? So I think we are looking at a, a changing, probably a slowly changing um, landscape of, of, of labour markets, of um, opportunities, of the types of skills that will be required. Um, I think a key challenge is to... to um, work with education systems, work with the, the private sector to harness those opportunities, to harness in a way the power and, and the impact that the private sector can have also on shaping those opportunities. Um, and for us, in, in terms of the focus on inclusion, to um, ensure that there is a sufficient focus on um, providing additional support and additional assistance where necessary, specifically aimed at young people, um, at women, um, at refugees, at people in, in, in less developed region, and to maintain this intersectional approach that we have, whereby we focus on, on the interplay of those different characteristics, or the focus on young women who are refugees or who live in, in, in remote regions. So, um, yeah, I think the challenges are multifold, but we will only really see the scale and the scope of these challenges as they emerge and as they develop over time going forward. Barbara, thank you very much indeed. If you're interested in finding out more, you can read about that, of course, uh, inclusion and what we're doing about it on ebrd.com. Meanwhile, share your thoughts with us at ebrd on Twitter and Facebook. Visit iTunes, SoundCloud and ebrd.com slash podcast to download the previous episodes. And remember that reviewing and rating Pocket Economics, well, that helps others to find it. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>